Hi, I'm Miranda Wright with HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. And all the trees of the field shall know that I, the Lord, have brought down the high tree, have exalted the low tree, have dried up the green tree, and have made the dry tree to flourish. I, the Lord, have spoken and have done it. Ezekiel chapter 17, verse 24. Chapter 17 of the book of the prophet Ezekiel begins with the parable from God of two great eagles. The eagle in scripture was often a sign of ancient Babylon. Within its own culture, its king was often depicted as being part eagle. Therefore did God himself often use the eagle to represent Babylon in warnings that he gave to Israel through his prophets, like Ezekiel and Jeremiah. In this particular prophetic parable, the first eagle that is mentioned, the great eagle, represented Babylon, and then a second one, presents itself, which represents Egypt, showing that the same spirit was behind both of them. There is a vine mentioned in this parable, which represents Israel, which was God's church, his people. In the parable, the vine is bent towards the things of Babylon, this great eagle reaching longing to embrace it, to be entangled with it. It looked so high and lifted up, so magnificent, so glorious. The description of its long flowing wings, giving the imagery of something that looked like majesty. Yet in reality, was it more like pride, pomp, and vainglory? Because let's face it, An eagle is a vicious bird of prey, a prince of the powers of the air, a fowl of the air that terrorizes the weak, the meek, and the lowly, feeding on them. It is opportunistic. It has no conviction about mingling with the dead. If it can get something easy out of it, it will even feed on corpses to increase its strength, if need be. It looks like majesty, but its character is far from holy. It is an unclean bird. The branches of this vine, according to the parable given by God, began to reach for this, to desire it. First, just in the physical, secular things, but then eventually, even in the spiritual things, as the very roots of it began to bend towards this eagle of secularism, pride, and vanity. What began in just the branch, once the vine began to abide in it, eventually manifested in its very root system. In other words, it was being led by another spirit. 
This grieved the heart of God, of course, because it says in the parable that this vine had been planted in good soil in a good land by many waters. It had every opportunity to be faithful and prosperous, to do good and be a blessing. Yet in the height of what seemed like its physical glory, would it be touched by a hot, destroying wind from the east? And it would be brought to nothing instantly. The word of the Lord was decreed against it for its pride, sins, and rebellion. It would not take many men to uproot it. The east wind would do it. Like the hot, dry, dusty, desolate breath of death that comes across the Negev, it would cause it to wither and quickly perish. In verse 10 of this same chapter, we read the words of God, Against this vine. He says, Yet being planted, shall it prosper? Shall it not utterly wither when the east wind toucheth it? It shall wither in the furrows where it grew. Now, this message is prophetic on so many levels, yet is it also historic because what was spoken did happen to Israel, to the church. But so will it happen to any nation, to any congregation that begins to reach for these things in place of their king. The Bible tells us that these things which once happened in the Old Testament were given for our example and admonition upon whom the ends of the world have come because there is nothing new under the sun. What has happened before will happen again. It may be different cities, but it's the same spirit, powers, and principalities that influence them. Therefore do we see the same judgments decreed against them. So that as we read Ezekiel chapter 17 today, it ought to be a very sobering message if we truly understand what it is saying. Because that even once the shakings had begun to come upon the church and the nation, did they still not put their trust in God, his words, his promises, or his covenant? They reached out to Egypt and put their trust in the things of the culture and of wickedness to save them. This was the final insult to God who all along was looking for them to put their faith in him, to trust in his words and sayings. Yet were they always bent towards these counterfeits of power and promise? The tools of Egypt, the horses, the chariots, the multitudes of men, their inventions, intentions, vainglory, illusions, delusions, and deceptions. This is what they put their faith in time and time again and even in the face of utter destruction. All the while God wanted to deliver them by way of the miraculous by his own wisdom and divine intervention. Instead, they joined the system that he was coming to fight against and made themselves his enemy in the process. Verse 15 reads like this, But 
rebelled against him in sending their ambassadors into Egypt, that they might give them horses and much people. Shall they prosper? Shall they escape that do such things? Or shall they break the covenant and still be delivered? My friend, obedience, submission, surrender matters. Because it's the evidence of faith. It's the evidence of honor. Yet even in all of this was God still trying to bring the deceived and rebellious to repentance. To cause them to lose trust in the things of Egypt. Things that had failed to stand either against God or the enemy time and time again. Yet for its fleshliness, its flash, its pomp, and its perceived power, did they constantly put their faith in it. Yet God who is holy, humble, and truly powerful was not at all impressed with it. He would let it all fail them. He would let it turn on them. He would let it show its true ugly face to them. He would let the deception overtake them so that maybe they would learn to trust him, to come to the realization that he does not speak for no reason. That his words and commandments are for our best, to bring about the best end for us. That he alone is a safe place to place your trust. That he is faithful, able, and just, yet still so very patient. And always desiring that we come to repentance. For it is never his will that any should perish in rebellion unto eternal damnation. So that he is willing to let us taste it here for but a moment. That we might learn to fear and to flee from it and to run back to him for salvation. This is what war is. That's what the church was facing in the prophecy of this passage. In chapter 19, we continue reading, Therefore thus saith the Lord God, As I live, surely mine oath that he hath despised, and my covenant that he hath broken, even it will I recompense upon his own head, and I will spread my net upon him, and he shall be taken in my snare, and I will bring him to Babylon, and I will plead with him there. For his trespasses, that he hath trespassed against me. Oh, how great are his mercies. That still in the midst of all of this error, rebellion, and failure, he's still pleading for us to come to our senses. Because that though the need does arise for reformation, God is still faithful to his promises He will keep his covenants unto a thousand generations. He will finish what he started, even if he has to start over and over and over again to do it. In this prophecy, 
He promises that even though this prideful tree of a congregation would be cut down and humbled and many dead branches dealt with, that yet would he take a cutting from it and replant it. Small, tender, young branch. We see this exemplified in the greater story of Israel through Jesus, but yet has he done it over and over again through the ages in times of reformation, which was the case in the fulfillment of this prophetic proclamation. He would turn everything around and upside down. The prideful would be humbled and laid low. The humble would be exalted and planted and established. God would remove kings and leaders and faithless deceivers and show favor to the lowly, the little, the faithful and tender. He would plant them and grow them and make them fruitful that there might be a bounty again. He would fulfill his covenant. Sometimes, my friend, whether it be in the grand scheme of ages and dispensations, or even in the little things of nations, church congregations, or your own personal situation, does the time come where he needs to clear the stage of all the fakes before he can set it for his humble, faithful servants? Sometimes there is a turnover, a reformation, and new beginnings. Oh, my friend, whatever you are facing, know this, that for the faithful, even though sorrow may last the night, joy really does come in the morning. So keep your faith in him and wait for it. Concluding the passage in chapter 22, it says, Thus saith the Lord God, I will also take of the highest branch of the high cedar and will set it. I will crop off from the top of his young twigs a tender one and will plant it upon a high mountain, an eminent. In the mountain of the height of Israel will I plant it and I shall bring forth new branches and bear fruit and it will be a goodly Cedar, and under it shall dwell all fowl of every wing. In the shadow of the branches thereof shall they dwell, and all the trees of the field shall know that I, the Lord, have brought down the high tree, have exalted the low tree, have dried up the green tree, and have made the dry tree to flourish. I, the Lord, have spoken and have done it. This is not an uncommon thing for God to do, for he sees, he knows the intent of the heart. And one thing that he will not tolerate is pride. We're told in James chapter 4 that God resists the proud, but pours out more grace upon the humble. He will elevate those that are willing to serve in the low, unseen, faithful, undesiring of vainglory. But those who desire the things of this world, they make themselves his enemy and he himself will fight against them. He will make an example of their wickedness. He will lay them low and make them a base among the brethren. 
In Psalms chapter 75, verse 5, we read this same principle again where it says, Lift up not your horn on high, speak not with a stiff neck, for promotion cometh neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south. But God is the judge. He putteth down one and setteth up another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup, and the wine is red, it is full of mixture, and he poureth it out of the same. But the dredge thereof, all the wicked of the earth, shall wring them out and drink them. But I will declare forever, I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. All the horns of the wicked also will I cut off, but the horns of the righteous, they shall be exalted. This message was brought to you by HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.